Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Pastor Rob Ginter and Farmdale Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at farmdalebaptist.com. Thank you so much for that. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Acts chapter 8, verse 26. That's where we'll be this morning, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. I had a conversation with a friend of mine last week, and he told me that he felt like they left him alone. And he was telling me about he started this job, and they assumed that he knew everything and didn't really tell him anything or help him with anything. So he felt like they hired him and left him. That can be true at work. I don't know if you've ever had a job that went like that, but it can also be true in the church in which that someone becomes a Christian and then we just assume that they know everything. And that they have everything they need as far as uh, knowledge and ability, skills, all of this to follow Jesus as faithfully as possible. But let me tell you who does not do that. Who doesn't just start you and leave you alone. God does not do that with his people on the mission of Jesus. Because here we are in the book of Acts. And at the beginning, uh, Luke told us that these are the things uh, that Jesus, he's, he's writing the things that Jesus began to do and teach. So hence why there's the rest of the book of Acts, because it's, it's a continuation of what Jesus began to do. So there is this mission in his world that he has started his people on. But the truth that we see here in Acts chapter 8 is he doesn't leave them alone. He doesn't leave them alone. Because up until this point, the, the church has been scattered by persecution. The, uh, Saul had, was ravaging the church. So they're going to die, so they're going to run instead of die. They pick running. So they fled, and everywhere they rent, went, they preached the gospel. So the church grows by persecution. The mission and the places that people went is because they were kind of on, on the run. But at this point in the book of Acts, there is direction given to the church, uh, and that direction is given by the Holy Spirit. It's given by the Holy Spirit. And we continue with the Apostle Philip here in, or excuse me, the deacon Philip, um, and he was preaching to the crowds, according to eight, chapter 8, verse 4, that we saw last week. Philip is preaching to the Samaritans, and that was kind of unexpected, religiously confused people. But they were coming in masses and coming in droves at this point. So instead of Philip's megachurch there at Samaria, the Holy Spirit tells him to leave the masses and go to a desert place where nothing is except he meets someone in the desert. So in this, something different happens. Philip, the deacon that we are introduced to in Acts chapter 6, is directed by the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, to the place that he's supposed to go. Now, in that, he literally gets sent into a Desert, as we see, desert, I had to Google it so it's not like a dessert place, which I would rather go to. You know, like, what's the difference between dessert and dessert? One of them you eat, and one of them has sand in it, if you're curious. So he gets sent to a 
desert place. It's no desert place, if you're curious. So the angel sends him there to the middle of nowhere in verse 26. Verse 29, the Spirit says to him. And in verse 39, he's carried away by the Spirit of the Lord. So what is happening here is God is intervening to direct the affairs of this mission. So lest you think that we, we celebrate Reformation Sunday today and there's these solas and it, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, and we find that in the Scriptures alone. That is truth that must get to a destination. It must get to a destination. And how does God get His truth to the desired destination? Well, my friends, God not only has ends that He has in mind, but He also has means to ends that He sovereignly employs. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 8, God sovereignly employing means to reach His ends by His Spirit. So we're getting ready to dig into the Scripture and go before it, and you're like, so how am I going to fit in with, with this? Like, am I going to be sitting on my couch, and the Spirit says, go outside to not a desert place, but a desert place, and there's going to be a guy sitting on a park bench. He's going to be reading his Bible. Are we going to get directed like that? Let me say that if you're sitting on your couch waiting for that to happen, you're probably going to turn on the TV because you're going to be there a while. In fact, that's not likely to happen at all. But instead, there are principles that we can get from this passage that God directs and orchestrates the lives of Christians for the spread of the gospel. That does happen. That will happen. So it's in this directing of the mission, we learn the main point of the passage is that God is in control of what he wants us to do for him. That's put very simply for what we take away from this passage. So if you're going home and you're waiting for a text from the Holy Spirit, here's your text. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. There's your text. That God is orchestrating and in control of what you want, what he wants you to do for him. So... What happens here? God is working with his spirit to direct Philip from the, the masses in Samaria to this one guy in the middle of one place with nobody else around. And what is this? What happens at the end of this? This is a salvation encounter. The ends of God are the salvation for the nations. The ends of God are for the salvation for the nations. So how does he do that? He orchestrates salvation encounters. He orchestrates salvation encounters. And how does he do it? Well, we see three elements that God marries together in order to save an individual. You're, wait, I thought you said it was by grace through faith. It is. It is. By grace through faith in Christ, to the glory of God alone. And this is how he orchestrates that salvation Many times we see how he does it just like this. So God orchestrates salvation encounters in our obedience. Our obedience. Now, verse 26, look at it in your Bible. Open it up, look at, that, look at it. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip in verse 26, notice what doesn't happen here. An angel of the Lord didn't say 
anything to the Ethiopian eunuch. That's not what happens. Acts chapter 10. Peter is going to be approached by a messenger from the Lord or a word from the Lord to go see a man named Cornelius. He's seen, Cornelius has already been prepared by God to receive Peter. But what does God not do in Acts chapter 10? The angel is not the messenger of the gospel. That's not true in Acts chapter 10. That's not true here in Acts chapter 8. The angel doesn't go to the Ethiopian eunuch, to the man out in the middle of nowhere, and tell him the gospel. So what does God ordain that should happen here? That the gospel should be heard through human lips. The gospel should be heard through human lips. That is oftentimes... Now, could the gospel come from an angel? Sure, sure. Gospel could come from a donkey if God wanted it to. But how does he often orchestrate it? Through human lips. Through human lips. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip. The angel's talking to Philip, not the eunuch at this point. And he tells him, he says, rise and go towards the south that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. We are shown how Philip was obedient and how we ought to be obedient as well. And how is that? Obedience is with out explanation. Obedience is without explanation. Why is it without explanation? Because this wouldn't make any sense in the first place. You're getting, the church is busting at the seams. I mean, like we're adding services and adding buildings and adding churches in Samaria. And then the angel goes, stop. Excuse me? Stop. Don't do that. Leave. I'm sorry, why? Why would I do that? I mean, I'm, I'm turning into Philip Osteen right here. Why, why would I go? I mean, they're going to probably name this church after me, you know? I'm a deacon. And they're just, they're eating out of my hands. They're eating out. Taking the gospel. Eating, I, I mean, it's going well. It's going well. No, see? The angel tells him to rise from where he is, and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So the command of the angel didn't make natural sense. Ministry was fruitful in Samaria. Oddballs there in Samaria, half this, half that, but they were all responding at this point. Now the angel tells him to go, and the commentator pointed out that this Gaza road at this point in time was an outdated way to get there. This wasn't the, the, the way that you would go or the place that you would go to. Wow, this inner city ministry is going great here in Samaria. Well, hey, uh, get up, go to the boondocks. Go to the middle of nowhere. But yeah, if I go to the middle of nowhere, that means I'm going to go to the middle of nobody. Not necessarily. Nobody goes there. But you know what? Philip did. Philip did. And he left this place swarming with Samaritans to go to a place that would have made no sense. Let me tell you how he was faithful in obedience. He was preaching in Samaria because of the persecution in Jerusalem, but he was already active, already active at this point. So what do we learn from Philip? Not only does the Spirit desire to use human lips, but God directs people who are active. That's what else we can take away from this. 
It's not like Philip, become an evangelist. Philip, share the gospel. Philip, tell people about Jesus. And Philip's like, you know, I'm just, I got a lot of stuff going on. See, Philip was already doing what he was supposed to do, where he was at, before he was directed to go somewhere else. And that is good advice and good wisdom from us to follow from Philip that if your car is parked, God is less likely to steer the said car if it is parked. In other words, he's already on the mission. He didn't change what he was doing. He changed his geography, not his activity. For us, we got to change our activity, our clothes, our... We got a lot of stuff to change before that we can be directed to the geography. We'd have to change our activity first. We have to first be somebody else, right? Somebody that does this kind of stuff. Then not only are we going to be somebody that actually shares the gospel, well, then, then we would be directed to someone who needed the gospel. Makes sense, right? No, see, this is obedience from somebody who's already being obedient to this. That's... Convicting for me, probably convicting for those of you like me that need to put the pedal down, right? Instead of waiting to receive more information, right? Be, be obedient to the information that you already have at this point. Because how, how, if we were Philip, what would it be like at this point? Well, we might not, already be, we might not be on the mission, but also what might be happening is that God, if we did get some type of direction from the Lord, we would then filter it from what gives us immediate benefits or makes logical sense. I'm dying in Samaria, aren't you? Right, if they're, they're, you know, it's raining cats and dogs of people that are responding, I'm dying in Samaria. They're gonna have to get my corpse out of Samaria. But no, not Philip. All he did was get direction somewhere else. But me and you, we probably filter it through what made logical sense to us and from what was immediately convenient or beneficial. Unfortunately, that's not what we necessarily see right here. We see obedience. God called Philip to leave the crowd and that led him to one person in verse 27. One person. So this reminds us, what's significant about this person? I don't know. I mean, he, he had some money. He came from... Babylon, at this point, Ethiopia. This is showing us that individuals matter to God. An individual matters to God. There's these masses. Leave there. There's a guy I need you to talk to. A single person. What was God doing strategically with this? Maybe he wanted to reach Ethiopia. Church fathers tell us that this, uh, the tradition tells us that, that that's what happened here. Uh, but... Take that for what it's worth. It's not within Genesis and Revelation. But Philip was called away from the crowds to a guy on a deserted highway. We need to remember, let this be just a little reminder for you, that if you're taking your neighbor's kids to school with yours or your grandkids, and there's a little kid in the back seat that you see through the rear view, and he's just one person that you've been working with, or you've been getting your hair cut by that same guy for years, and you're building up the relationship to deliver the gospel, that matters. That matters. That little kid in the back with the seatbelt, he matters. That guy cutting your hair, he matters. 
don't worry about the masses, right? Don't worry about the masses. Don't worry about making our name famous. No, don't worry about that. Don't worry about people's platforms that are bigger than ours. Don't, don't, people that are making bigger impacts than ours. It seem like they're making, making a difference, like they, they have titles and they make differences. And no, see, this is the thing where there's masses. And he says, turn your back on the masses and go talk to that one individual right there. And he did. And it was right in the eyes of God, clearly, by what happens here. So the salvation of individuals matters. And it should matter to us. So Philip goes and... We see that his obedience was without explanation, as should ours, and obedience should also be with trust in God's sovereignty. So at one point, Philip was obedient. On the other hand, God was working in the background. Notice verse 27. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in, the, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So in the next verse, the Spirit says, somehow, I don't know how, he says to Philip, go over to the chariot, and he sees the reason why he's on the desert road. This Ethiopian was reading the scroll of Isaiah. So what looked initially like a foolish errand began to take shape to Philip here. He started to figure out, and it's, maybe it made sense all at that point, or maybe he was just like, there's a guy. There's just one. Right? I was going to do like mass preaching. Now I'm going to do personal evangelism. Yes. Yes, you are. And he's right there. So this man was a eunuch. That's, we don't really have, nobody signs up for that job anymore. Not many sign up for that job anymore, but that means that he was surgically emasculated so that he wouldn't fornicate with the queen. So there you go. But he, he did that, and he clearly he made money, right? He was, he was clearly up in, the, up in the, the courts of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. Now, there, Ethiopia and the Babylonian Empire, supposedly people question whether that somehow he had been prepared by uh, Daniel in the, in the captivity, the prophet Daniel. Um, curious, who knows? I don't know. Uh, but somehow the Lord was... Working in this individual's heart, he has the prophet Isaiah. And on top of that, he could afford, or someone paid the bill for a 10-month round trip from Africa to Israel, somehow. So God sovereignly stirred up the longing for truth in this man. And it wasn't likely that he was born a eunuch. In all likelihood, it was a choice probably could have been made by him. He made the trade for his success. He just had to trade in his uh, stuff uh, in order to, thank you for that, uh, for this position. Um, so he, he climbed the ladder, and this is where he's, he's made it from. All of this is in the sovereignty of God. And people sometimes don't understand the sovereignty of God they say things like, if God is so sovereign, right? If he's in control of everything and everybody and everything in between everybody, then that means that we are robots and our choices are not significant. The problem is, is both of those things are true. That God is in control of everything and everybody 
and at the same time, the choices that individuals make are significant, and it matters. Why? Look at the Ethiopian eunuch. It mattered to him. It mattered to him. This is a moment that mattered in his life. God orchestrates this meeting and at the same time called this deacon to be obedient into it. And at the same time, he was obedient to it. So he uses sovereignty and obedience in saving people. He does. So it's not an either or, either God is sovereign sovereign, or we're working. God is sovereign, calling us to be obedient in our working. Therefore, we tell you to be obedient and on mission because God will, can, does, probably has in the past made appointments for us. Appointments for us. You're not likely to be present for these appointments if you're not being obedient to Christ's mission. Perfect marriage is right here. God drawing the eunuch and commanding Philip, and the result is salvation for him. So looking at this, God orchestra- here's, here's the marriage that's all coming together. God orchestrates the salvation encounter in our obedience and in their longing. That's what's happening here. God is orchestrating this, and He's using means to His end. We are meant to be the means to His end. And in the Ethiopian, we see he's already reading his Bible somehow at this point. So Philip comes upon this Ethiopian who just so happens to be struggling with the most important question in the entire universe. That being, who is Jesus? And the only place that this answer is found is in the Scriptures. So Philip runs down the chariot and asks the Ethiopian if he understands what he's reading. And he's honest about it. How can I? Unless someone guides me. So he invites Philip to sit down. Luke tells us what this man was reading. Kind of gives us a view over his shoulder. If you look down over at the scroll, it's probably like this though, right? In verse 32, he said, Now the passage of the Scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep that was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. So the Ethiopian reads Isaiah chapter 53, and he speaks of a servant who is innocent and yet slaughtered like a lamb. He was humiliated and denied justice in his death. So just a reminder in this day, in Israel, if this Ethiopian who was emasculated, so he would have been kept on the outer court, if he tries to go to the local church, temple, synagogue, if he tried to do that at this point, he's not getting the answer to this question. He's not getting the answer there. Because Jews didn't then and do not know now what to do with Isaiah 53. It does not fit in to their worldview. So we see this man, and I'm not saying he went to the temple. Because Luke's not saying he went to the temple. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that the background and the history of this text tells us that if he went 
to the temple, he still wouldn't have his question answered. He still wouldn't have his question answered. Nobody's going to tell him this. Nobody knows this. So that's why he says, is the prophet talking about himself or is somebody else? Maybe he did go to the temple. Maybe he did. I don't know. And we see that going on in people's lives around us all the time. They have a longing, and maybe they try to find answers somewhere, and the answers that they get are really incomplete and partial. And the Ethiopian is not satisfied with what he knows about this. Meanwhile, Philip, beginning with this scripture, told him the good news about Jesus. So, that's the, in Philip's life here, this is showing us the elements of effective evangelism. He's led by the Spirit. He's obedient on mission. He speaks from the Scriptures, centered about the gospel or good news about Jesus. That is what a faithful evangelist looks like. And we see it in Philip's life. And as we look at this interaction between Philip and the Ethiopian, verse 31 says the Ethiopian does not understand unless someone guides him. So what, what are the elements that are all coming to the pass here? Well, there is, there is Philip, and there is the Spirit of God guiding Philip, and then over here there is the Ethiopian eunuch who has partial answers and a longing to figure out what they, the real answers are. And in this, he says, how can I understand unless someone guides me? A need for a real person to talk to. You feel this longing, right? You got a problem with your phone. So you call the phone company and there is a recorded voice and you push zero. And I hate it when you do that. And it says that is not a valid, a valid, it's not a valid entry. Excuse me. And I try it again. And I try it again. I keep pushing zero. I'll just mash that zero down. You know what? It never gets me to a person. I have to play by the rules. I have to go through. I have to call them again and actually listen to what they're asking me to do. I hate that. But you know why I hate it the most? I can't get to a real person. I just can't. Here is what's happening to the Ethiopian. He just wants somebody to sit him down and explain this truth to him. How am I going to understand this unless someone guides me? Now, does, does God need a real person to do this? Could God do it by His Holy Spirit in the life of the Ethiopian? Oh yeah, He certainly could and often does. But a lot of the time, it's going to work just like this. I'm going to need a real person to come and to tell me. Tell me this truth. Tell me what it really means. Enter me and you. Me and you. And maybe a convicting thing for you, if, if you're not... Uh, a pastor or elder, is neither was he. You see, what happens here is Philip goes to the Ethiopian. Philip was a deacon back from Acts chapter 6, so he wasn't a, a teaching elder. And the Holy Spirit leads him to this eunuch, and, and uh, Philip goes, sorry, I'm a, I'm a deacon. And years in the future, we're going to find out that I don't have to be qualified to teach. So I'm going to go try to find a pastor for you, and uh, I'm going to ask him about that. And then I'll tell you what's going on here in Isaiah chapter 53. No, Philip, regular guy like me and you, gets led by the Spirit to the, to the eunuch, and he knows his Bibles. 
He knows his scriptures. He knows them. Just like we should know them as Christians. Every one of us. One of the things that came from the Reformation is the priesthood of all believers. That all of us should have access, intimate knowledge of the scriptures ourselves. I uh, worked for the state for a little while, so some, I feel some of your all's pain, but my pain was temporary in nature. Uh, I worked there for quite a while. They kept, they kept calling me temporary, so <laughs> whatever the deal was with that. But in that, I worked with a gentleman. Let's call him Mark, so the names can be changed to protect the innocent. And I worked with Mark at the state, and Mark was a Catholic. I'm not saying that all Catholics are condemned to hell, but I shared the gospel with Mark, and Mark was making a claim to be, be a Christian, but when I pressed him, he would say, hold on just a second, I'll tell you that tomorrow. And he'd put me off, and then he'd come back with something. And then I'd say, well, Mark, what, what about this? And he'd put me off. And he'd be like, give me a couple days. Think about that. And he'd come back. And he'd go, Mark, what are, you, what are you doing? Turns out, Mark kept having to go back to his priest to ask him all the questions that I was asking him. So I'd talk to Mark. Mark would talk to his priest. The priest would talk to Mark. Mark would come back to me. I'd talk to Mark. Mark would talk to his priest. The priest would talk to Mark. He'd come back to me. And we would do that little dance over and over again. To where I was just like tempted to go like, can I just have lunch with your priest? Can like me and him get together? Just have lunch together? Maybe we have a burger or something? Go to Dairy Queen? Whatever. But I never did that. Why? Because I didn't know the priest. I was worried about Mark. So I kept sharing the gospel with Mark until he told me to stop talking to him. I guess he just got tired. Mark told me to, leave, to talk to him about anything but that ever again. And why did he do that? Because he didn't know. He didn't know himself. He had to go get somebody. To he, had to go, he had a guy, right? My HVAC starts making noise. There's a guy. And I go talk to him. Uh, my car's making noise. There's a guy. I go talk to him. I got this problem with my insurance. There's a guy. I go talk to him. That's not what this is supposed to be. You got a question? Yes, you can talk to one of the pastors here at the church. Absolutely. But how this is supposed to be, when we look at Philip's life, you're supposed to know it yourself. You're supposed to know it yourself. Philip was talking, and he, needed, he knew the gospel himself. So when the Ethiopian asked him, and he said, is there... Is this talking about Jesus or somebody else? Philip told him the gospel, starting with those scriptures, the good news about Jesus. So that's what he does. This counter reminds us the focus on, of the church is on the study of the scriptures. And the longing in, un, in un, other individuals' hearts is only fulfilled in the truth of God's Word. That's, that's all, that, all it is at this point. That's what we see here. Now, what didn't happen here in this? Philip didn't tell him his testimony. 
right? Because when I say we need to know the scriptures, we need to know this stuff for ourselves, there might be a filter in our minds to say, that means I should go and tell people the, my testimony, and then I should be really settled in what my testimony is. Here's a little issue with that while we're trying to apply these scriptures. Philip's testimony, like yours, is not going to save anybody. Right? A testimony is the fruit of what the gospel has borne in your life. The gospel is what Jesus did for sinners. The testimony is what Jesus did for sinners being applied to you. So we need to be able to tell people, yes, our testimony, it's great, right? But more importantly, the gospel, right? We, testimony's fine. It's great. Maybe that's a bridge to the gospel. Perfect. It's great. But by all means, in every means, get to the gospel. Because the gospel, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew and also the Greek. For in it the power of God has been revealed from faith for faith. So we need to be able to articulate what God did in Jesus for them. That's what we need to know. Because that is what matters the most. They can listen to a Mormon testimony. Good, I'm glad it, glad it got you off the booze. Good for you. They can listen to a Muslim testimony. I'm glad it got you off drugs. Good for you. None of those save. None of them. Only a testifying about what Jesus has done. So God orchestrates salvation encounters in our obedience, in their longing, but primarily in His Son. In His Son, right? God is preparing His church to be obedient in this mission. He's guiding us. He's creating longings in individuals' hearts. Honestly, when you look at this passage, this Ethiopian eunuch would be using that scroll for toilet paper if the God Spirit had not moved in him to give him desires to figure out these answers. And everyone we know would be doing the same. We'd be thinking about other things if God did not change our desires and direct our hearts in this way. So God orchestrates salvation in our obedience Right? He leads us, guides us, directs us to people who He's working on the insides. That's what He's doing. I've had people who, who told me that I was a fool for sharing the gospel with them. But I've also had people saying, you know what, my cousin died yesterday, and I've been thinking about this question ever since. In our obedience, in their longing, primarily in his son. And here's how the eunuch responded in belief in Jesus in verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? So Philip opened his mouth, told him the scriptures in Isaiah 53, the good news about Jesus. And we see here that he's wanting to go public in baptism. So he told him that this obviously had to happen. It had to happen that 
he knew enough, right, in this gospel presentation that he shows you believe, you go forward, you go public to the world in baptism. So that was a part of that. Now there's a little caveat when you look down at your scriptures. Depending on what your translations have, you may or may not have verse 37 in your Bible. What? Verse 37, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So if I look down at my little handy-dandy ESV that I have here, my Bible goes straight from 36 to 38. And in that, the reason that this, isn't, this text of Scripture is not in this ESV Bible, I'm glad you asked, why is it not there? It's because our oldest and most reliable Greek manuscripts, it's not there either. But yet, the, the ESV committee that we have here, what do they do? They, they, they're thorough. So it says that there's some manuscripts that say this in it. And it says, if you believe with all your heart. So why? Because this ESV just says that he wants to get baptized. It doesn't say that he believes. It says that he wants to get baptized. It doesn't mean anything other than this is a thorough examination of the Scriptures. Because if you have your King James Bible with you, it's going to have verse 37 in it. And a lot of people who are KJV only, right, King James Version only, would say, hey, look, they changed my Bible. I need a KJV because, look, it doesn't have verse 37 in your Bible. Well, here's what happened to the King James in 1611. In 1611, they had manuscripts that were few and new. And that sounds good, right? New. But then when the ESV was translated in 2001, they had old manuscripts, lots of of manuscripts. And that means that they could tell that verse 37 was not likely original to the text. So why is it in it? Because church tradition was so strong in that day that you didn't baptize anybody who didn't believe. Right? There weren't Presbyterians yet. Believers were baptized because they weren't Catholics or Presbyterians at that point. They didn't baptize infants till later. But early church tradition tells us that believers were baptized. You had to believe and go public in baptism. So much so that a scribe's going, oh man, it doesn't say anything about belief in there. Let me put something about belief. And then in our thorough understanding of the scriptures, we, we know, we go, hey, they put something in there about belief. But what does that mean for us? It means that you must believe. You must believe. The eunuch believed in Jesus. Pastor Jonathan earlier said trust in, in Christ. And I say believe in Jesus. But in, in our modern day language, what does that mean? Like trust your insurance agent and believe in the Easter bunny. Like those words have transformed into that, right? So like trust your insurance agent. You got a good guy or girl, like yeah, man or woman, that, that, she's good. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about banking your entire life on the person of the Lord Jesus. Whether you stand or whether you fall, it's all about him. And the entire direction of your life is to be placed on him as firmly fixed as your tails are in your seat. Your trust is in Christ. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about believing in the tooth fairy, putting our, informa- like our di- direction in something that doesn't exist, but we are anchoring everything in a person, putting all of our eggs in that one basket of the person of Jesus Christ. So much so 
that we do not want to waste our life, but invest our life in Him alone. So the Ethiopian encountered Christ via Philip, and the eunuch responded in belief, baptism, verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Do you notice when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and he went away rejoicing. You see, this Gaza road would have been one of the last water stops before you get to the desert. And the eunuch went down into the water and he came up out of the water. Show us an example of what true baptism is, right? It's not sprinkling, it's immersion. And that's where we, one of the places we see it. Some people say the scriptures say, say nothing about the method and mode of baptism, except where they say something about the method and mode of baptism right here, right here. And he goes down into the water and he comes up out of the water. The eunuch went down into the water and he came up out of the water. This is how Paul puts it in Romans. He says, there, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into, the death, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's what baptism is, right? So you are going public with this thing and identifying like Christ went down into the grave, you go down into the water, and like Christ came up out of the grave, you come up out of the water. And if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian who has not done that, that is a missing next step of obedience for you. That you ought to go public like that, like he did. This eunuch would have been rejected from full worship at the temple if he tried to go ask them about Isaiah chapter 53. He probably traded his hopes of having a family for this job, and there he was just baptized into Christ's death to walk in newness of life. And so can you be as well. So can you. No matter what trade that you made already, you got the raw end of the deal. No matter how you've already blown it, the qualification on this eunuch's part was that he just was drawn to find out the truth. And if God has drawn you to ask some questions, you keep asking them. And you ask them in his word. You ask them from his word. And if he saves you from your sin, you need to go public with that thing. And what's available here? Lastly, the eunuch responded with joy. With joy in verse 39. What began with spiritual thirst ended in joy. Jesus says, come to me, all who are thirsty, and I will give you drink. I will create in him rivers of living water. You see, I was talking to somebody at our, uh, the other day, and I said, responding to the gospel is like eating lunch with the president. And they said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, well, if you, you were so inclined and you wanted to have lunch with the president, good for you, right? He only eats lunch with who he wants to eat lunch with. And you're not likely to go to the White House, step out on the lawn, and ask for an appointment for lunch to see what he's doing probably put you on the ground, cuff you, and we'd never see you again. 
You see, but if the president wanted to eat lunch with you, then, then it could happen. Why? Because of his position? He makes his own appointments with who he wants to be around and who he wants to be with. You see, God is a lot like that. He makes appointments in people's hearts. He puts seeds of questions in their hearts that he might be the satisfaction for them himself. And if you desire God, it is because God desires that you desire God and that he himself today is making an appointment with you. Right? You don't approach him. He's the one approaching you. The eunuch is, seems like he's seeking God. It does. But elsewhere in Romans, we see that no one seeks for God. No one does that. But what do we see here in Acts chapter 8? God seeks for people. God seeks for people. And he uses the obedience of other people. He puts longings in their heart. And he puts salvation from his son. That's what he does. So if you're not a Christian today, God could be making an appointment with you. Today is the day of salvation, and you should not assume that you have another one other than this one to have this appointment with God. Might you respond by banking your entire life on the person of Jesus, going public with that and being filled with joy. That is available for anyone and everyone and all the ones that are here today and within the sound of my voice. Those are the fruit of this appointment that God desires to make with you today. If you're a Christian, are you desiring other people's appointments in your own life? Is that what you're desiring? Would God have to change more than your geography for you to be obedient? Would he have to change your activity first? I'm going to pray in just a second, and this will be a moment for us to repent of our lack of activity. But no, that you are not left alone in this mission. That God is working through your obedience. He is working in their longing. And ultimately, He is working all things in His Son. But let's back up for just a second. How, do, how are we directed in this? How are we prompted in this? What if the Spirit's not saying something to you and you're like, that's kind of spooky. I didn't have a Spirit speak to me like that. How does this work? Well, here, let me tell you how I found it to work. You go out and you set an appointment on your calendar to share the gospel, or you set an appointment for you to share the gospel with your coworker, and that coworker, and that coworker, and that coworker, and that coworker, and there's going to be one of them, potentially, or some of them, or all of them, that God is making an appointment with himself. And the only way that you're going to figure out who they are is to share the gospel with them. Why? Because if you look at how this passage ends in verse 40, the Spirit carries Philip away and he ends up in a place and he just assumes because he's in a place that the gospel should go out at that place. What kind of man is that? That he assumes he's in a place and that the gospel should go out because of the place that he's in. Well, when you go to work, you're in a place. You don't have to wait for some Holy Ghost goosebumps on your arm to say, should I share the gospel with the people here at work? I don't know if God's really leading me to do that. Are you in a place? Are they people? Are you in a place where people are at? That's how you're directed. That's how you're guided. You're obedient in this mission. You have a desire to go. You're open for appointments. You're in a place with people. And people in places, you say things about a person, the Lord Jesus. And God puts a longing in their heart and they respond to your obedience in 
you're sharing about his son. And he saves by grace through faith in Christ to the glory of God alone. We see that in the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your scriptures and how they are so good to us and how you are good to us in giving them to us. Let us be directed by you. Let us be prompted by your spirit in your word to call people to respond to this gospel. Lord, thank you that you have not left us alone on this mission. Empower us all the more in faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.